Hi, friends. Hello, should I delete that, listeners? We still have some tickets left for our live tour and we would absolutely love to see you there. On Thursday, the 23rd of May, we will be performing in the London Islington Assembly Hall. On Monday, the 27th of May, we will be in Salford. On Tuesday, the 28th of May, we'll be in Glasgow. Sunday, the 2nd of June, Birmingham. Monday, the 3rd of June, Bristol. And Tuesday, the 4th of June in Southampton. You can get your tickets at aegpresents.co.uk or via the link in the show notes or our Instagram bios. We really hope we see you there. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So when I was asked to work with the drug users on the wing on a regular basis to help them once they'd settled into prison, I thought, oh, no, thank you. People are going to be so nasty to deal with. But not at all once they'd settled down. These were the women I got to know and love over seven odd years and miss them. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Should I Delete That? I'm Em Clarkson. And I'm Alex Light. How are you doing? I don't think you're doing very well. Not doing well at all, Al. I've got a, I've got a bad, bad to start. It's with a really bad, bad. And it's mostly my fault, but I don't want to dwell on that, okay? Okay. We're not going to get bogged down with whose fault it is. No, no responsibility. My car got broken into last night. <gasps> they have ransacked it. And they've stolen Arlo's buggy bag and her changing mat. Isn't that just, like... Senseless criminals. Wait, that's like, I mean, that's, they're they're weird things to steal. Both very non-high value items, surely. They left the Artipote baby carrier, which can I just say is like £300. It was the biggest, it was like the most, when I bought that, that was the one thing I was like, I can't justify it. I mean, I did, obviously. And I'm like, that's so happy that I own it. But that is such, the baby carrier is so expensive. They didn't steal that. But they they did steal they did steal the the baby the her baby bag like they took it off the buggy they didn't steal the buggy which again is so expensive because buggies are they didn't steal the buggy they just took the baby bag which means they got like her cow pole and like her little nappy rash cream and like her clothes like her little spare set of clothes in case she pees herself and like I am so confused why would they not take the pram I know I know I know. I know. The pram is an expensive, big ticket item. I'm so confused. I'd also rather they'd just taken the pram. I, I don't, I, I, I wouldn't, but like, it just feels so much like dirtier that they just took, they literally stole from a baby. Do you know what I mean? Like, they've just taken her clothes so and her weird. little bag. And I've got that really trendy, I'm going to have to rebuy it. Thank God it's Black Friday coming up. Um, but that like really trendy, you know, my, my, my buggy bags, that silver one, and I've got the matching changing yeah. right there from Tiber and Mall, which is, I just love the brand. I'm going to have to rebuy them. It's just expensive. But it's fine, but it's just like, it's just really annoying. And I feel, and I, the car is just, I've got photos out. The car's been trashed. Like they've gone through the glove compartment. Like they've torn everything up. Like look, obviously looking for stuff. They've gone through the um, bit in the middle. Like everything's just trashed. And I just feel really dirty. That's like I open so all the weird. doors. How do they like, get mm. in? Well, this is what we don't want to get bogged down in because okay. <laughs> theories okay. theories are currently floating that I might not have locked the car last night. Okay, okay, okay. We'll we'll swiftly move on from that one. <laughs> We're not going to talk about that, but it's kind of irrelevant at this point. So irrelevant. So, so irrelevant. irrelevant. <laughs> yeah, my, I, I texted my brother this morning and I was like, I'm so upset. And he was like, oh no, they smashed the windows. Like I was like, um. No. <laughs> and they just opened the door. <laughs> I think they might just open the door, actually, yeah. It's very civilised, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so... We've been seeing for ages, because Alex is such, like, a nosy fucking neighbour, as you well know. And he's been watching this guy go up and down the street, testing to see if any of the cars were unlocked. He sees him all the time. So oh, really? I feel like I ought to just follow that guy home one day. <laughs> just be like, hi, can I have my stuff back? 
And while you're at it, can you come and clean the car, please? Because it's all fucked. It's all your fault. Oh my god. Okay. Well, I'm. But I am glad that the the are no windows smashed. That's good because you don't you won't want glass everywhere. So that's a positive. It is. But I was supposed to drive today. I was supposed to. I'm take. I'm supposed to go driving, and I'm not going to drive and get the train. <sighs> I just feel like the car's been sullied. Do you know what I mean? I need a couple of days. Yeah. Yeah. Violated. Yeah. yeah yes. 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 I feel like I've been invaded. Anyway, uh, how are you? Rough. Rough. I'm. I'm all right. I mean, I don't, I look kind of weird, don't I? I don't know. Everything's really puffy at the moment. <laughs> That's late stage pregnancy, sweetheart. <laughs> I'm really struggling. Like, my fingers look funny and my, yeah, I, I don't know. You look funny. funny. Do you not think? No. Um, but I know the feeling of feeling funny. Yeah, I keep looking in the mirror and being like, I just don't, I look really different. Yeah. I don't know. I don't like, know. even my nose looks like it's great. Anyway, I'm fine. Um, my good, bad and awkward are all in one. Okay, let's go. Good is we went for a little uh, getaway last weekend. We had vouchers, Mr. and Mrs. Smith vouchers from our wedding two years ago that we've just just haven't had chance to use properly. Anyway, so we went, we did a little weekend away for our anniversary, which was really nice. And I had a one and a half hour nap on Ooh, Saturday. That's I know. <laughs> I know. Shocking, right? Dave was, he said, he said he was like throwing stuff at me and like shouting at me and I just wouldn't wake up. <laughs> I was just, I was an absolute goner. Um, that's my good. My bad is that we went out for dinner in the hotel restaurant that night. It was at the pig. So it's like dead posh. Yeah. Not you know, it's like, it's just, it's fancy, I've isn't it? I've always wanted to go to the... Um, it's yeah, really nice. Love that for it's It's fancy in like a rustic way. I don't know. It's very like, it's very like farm to table kind of way. I, I know exactly anyway, the vibe. I, I like it. Yeah. Really, really nice. But they see it as, I mean, it's quite, it's very busy in there and they see it as at this little table and I was sitting out facing the restaurant. Okay. Um, Dave was facing the wall, which would have been my preference had I known what was going to happen anyway I had just before dinner I'd come across this thread um all about how you resent your dog when you have a baby and like different um like uh, people's different stories about how like one even got rid of the dog one said she couldn't she had no love for the dog anymore anyway I read this just before dinner and it was like I I went I went back I feel like I went back hormonally to when I was a teenager you know when you're like due your period and you have no control over your emotions yeah you've got no control you feel so out of control it's like it's completely irrational but you can't control it and I wept at dinner I wept I wept I wept I wept and I was facing out in the restaurant and Dave was horrified mortified it looks like it's his fault Uh, yeah he was like please Al please and I was like Dave I'm trying the optics are mad it's like he's leaving you like yeah she's eight months (laughs) pregnant and I'm out of here and yeah, you I cry. Know. And stop crying out. Actually, stop crying. Stop crying. Everyone's looking. Stop crying. Because it wasn't just like, a, oh, like, pat my eyes kind of cry. It was like, I was weeping, like, sobbing. I was so, so bad. I, I went like to we it twice. should confiscate the internet from you for a little bit. I wish I hadn't come across that thread. I really do. And then I got... I was sad and then I was angry. I was like, how can you resent the dog? You can resent yourself, but you can't resent the dog. Anyway, I'm, I'm over that now. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm past that. But at the time it felt very, very real. And this whole restaurant was like, oh my God, are you okay? And I was like, I want to get out of here, but the food's so good and I'm hungry. <laughs> I'm very torn. So yeah, that was, that was that. Is that your bad and your awkward? No, that was my bad and oh my God. awkward. I went, uh, Dave put me in for a massage. I just want to hear these stories from Dave's perspective always. I think we should have like a subsection of the podcast (laughs) where we just hear these stories from Dave's side. (laughs) He's just beaten down. He's just sad. (laughs) Um, He put me in for a massage, which was very nice. Like a a pregnancy one. So nice. They gave me a pillow to like so you can lie down flat on your front and put your bump in heaven gorgeous really nice for for the end of the massage they do a scrub and a a moisturize on your bump and I don't know about you but I don't think anyone's ever touched my bump uh, my tummy in like a, a tenderly way before do you know what I mean? Like with the midwife, it's different. It's like yeah. they're going in with purpose and yeah. it's like, it's a medical reason. Uh-huh. It's not a stroke. 
And I suddenly, when she flipped me over on my front, I felt very vulnerable and very nervous. And when she did the first touch, I lurched. My whole body, like, lurched. <laughs> like I jumped out of myself. Like a cat touching water. Literally, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and she was like, are you okay? I was like, oh God, yeah, I'm fine. I'm sorry. I just, but, but every time, and every time there was a break in her touching, not touching my belly when she'd do it again I go back to the lurch because it just felt too weird I couldn't stop it it was like a reflex (laughs) horrible poor woman and I was just like oh can we just leave this bit please can we just like call it a day I've had a really nice time can I just go home now please (laughs) stop it (laughs) well I love that what a weekend I had a roller coaster have you got any goods goods awkwards I've got an awkward and a good I've got an awkward because I took Olive soft play yesterday we absolutely thrived it was so fun I've decided you know this I'm mostly not going to work on Thursdays anymore and I'm just going to hang out with my kid and might just have like full like love this because our job's so like oh yeah I'll just reply most people's are in this day and age you just 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 reply I'll just reply like yeah and you just end up and you can end up like sucked into jobs and then just on your phone and I just don't want to be on my phone all the time around her and I'm just really trying to like whatever set my boundaries yeah so Thursdays are like for the most part just hanging out with my kid. And so yesterday we went to the coolest soft play I've ever been in my life. I, I fucking love it. I know there are parents I hate soft play. I'm like, I fucking love soft play. So I found this <laughs> massive soft play yesterday. We had a hoot. Anyway, as we were leaving, I saw these stairs and I thought, I hope I don't fall down these stairs. What a random oh, thought. And I thought that to myself. I was like, I hope I don't fall down them. And it was like I manifested it because I got to the bottom one and I rolled my ankle. I was holding Arlo as I fell oh, no. down oh, the stairs, no. crashed us into a wall. I actually think she was fine, but I went <gasps> because I thought like I'd hurt her. So I drew a lot of attention to us because I went, <gasps> and then she cried. But I actually, and I was like, oh my God, did she hit her mate? Like, what have I done? And all that. And all the, there were so many people at the cafe, all mums, all holding oh their no. kids. And they were all really nice. And they were like, she's fine. You, nothing happened to her. She's crying because you panicked. Oh no. <laughs> so then I was like, oh God, I'm such a dork. But then I don't have these internal thoughts. Like I say that externally. So I was like standing at the bottom of the stairs. I was like, I'm such a loser. I'm such a dork. And all these mums were like, you're not a loser. <laughs> You're not a daughter. Oh, like, oh, stop nice to me. <laughs> oh my god. That was so embarrassing. It's like I'm such a loser. That is so like, embarrassing. You're not a loser. You're not a loser. Don't worry, these things happen. I'm like, oh god. Oh, oh god. <laughs> so I can never go back to the amazing software that my daughter had the best. Actually, no, I'm gonna have to go back. I'm gonna have to just swallow my pride and go like so embarrassing. And you know what the worst thing is? My ankle is so sore today. Oh, you really hurt it. I really hurt it. I've got to run a 10k on Sunday and I woke up this morning and I was like, oh, I can't even go down the stairs. It's really sore. I know. And I think I was so distracted by humiliation that I didn't even acknowledge that I'd hurt myself. Yeah. And I was so concerned (laughs) that I'd hurt Arlo. Anyway, she was fine. She was just embarrassed that I was her mother. Fair fucks. I bet she um, was. Yeah, she's like, oh, I think Morgan. she's too young to feel embarrassment, but maybe I, I actually... I don't think so. I think that's why she this, cried. This could have brought it in for her. <laughs> I think that's why she started crying. I don't this think she was in pain at all. I think she was literally just like, oh, why is my mum the worst? What a loser. <laughs> Can I have one of you instead? <laughs> <laughs> Help. Take me away. What a twat. Oh, so annoying. Anyway, mortifying. <sighs> and then my good is just that we're going... It's my, be- my best friend's getting married and we're going to go and try on wedding dresses in a minute. That's why I've got to go. Fun! I know. So, so exciting. We're going to go. That is yeah, so exciting. Yeah, we're going now. And then also, double good, because our guest this week. Woo! <gasps> We oh my so god, we excited. fell in love with her. We fell in. We pulled this episode forward. Like we we fucked with the schedule because we were so excited about this episode. Yeah. Like I listened. Uh, we talk all about it, but I listened to Amanda Brown's book, Doctor Amanda Brown's book, in 2019 when I was training for my first marathon, and I was literally obsessed with it. I was like, "This is the coolest woman I've ever heard in my life." Loki thought about her most days since then. <laughs> um, and then when we were talking about like guests we wanted on the podcast, and I was like, Alec, my Alex was like, dream big, dream big. Who do you want? I was like, oh, Dr. Amanda Brown. And bugger me, she said yes. She and it did. was, wasn't it just like, oh, we're just in love with her. We're just in love with her. Oh my God, I love her. She's got the kindest, nicest soul. I, I just, I, I love her. I love want her in her. my life. I know. Well, yeah. I know, I know. We did have to let her go, which was sad. But, but she did give us an hour and it was such a great hour. She was so amazing. She Brilliant. reframed so much of our perceptions, I guess, on like prison and criminals. And I oh thought God, what she so had many. to say about 
women in prison and the way that we're failing women judicially, I suppose, and societally was so important to hear and we just we just loved it. So enjoy the episode guys. Hope you enjoy it as much as we did. Hi Amanda, thank you so much for coming. I'm gonna start by just being a bit of a fangirl. I, I we sort of did this before the mics before the mics went on, but I listened to your book, The Prison Doctor, in 2019. Would that be about right? Yes. Yeah. And I honestly was so interested in it in your whole story how you came to being a how you came to become a prison doctor in the first place and then where you left the book which was that you'd gone and started working in women's prisons and your opinions and your the facts that you had about women in the prison system I had never considered any of it before and I just thought the whole book was so enlightening and I can't believe my luck that you said yes to come and talk to us today. So thank you so much for coming. So sweet. Thank you. It's a real pleasure. I'm so excited. But I would love for anybody that hasn't read your book or who doesn't know about you yet, if you could explain what happened in the early 2000s that led to you leaving your GP practice and going to work in the prisons, which is a huge (laughs) gear change. Well, um, so 2004, the government changed the GP contract. And it was coming in on the 1st of April. And on the 9th of March, my partners, partners at the GP practice, we had a meeting and the new contract was bringing in targets and incentive-driven medicine and what they call COF points, so quality outcome framework points, which meant if you did certain things in a consultation and ticked it on the computer, money arrived and you hit your target, you get more money. And it was there was a lot of money around if you played the game. And I just knew for 100% I would not be able to do that after 20 odd years of, you know, traditional family medicine. I I don't think I could change my style of medicine to hit targets and stuff. And in this particular meeting, um, one of the partners said that if I didn't pull my weight financially, they'd resent me. And that was like a knife going into my heart because I loved my job. I felt proud of the practice that I'd sort of built up. Um... And I just absolutely knew that I wouldn't hit the targets and that they would resent me. And within literally the reply to that sentence was that I was leaving. So I had no intention of leaving, but I just stood up from that meeting and I walked out as if I just sort of killed myself. And I saw, you know, I was in shock because I thought, what the heck have I done? But I, I, it broke my heart. So that was the end of me in general practice and had no idea what I was going to be doing three weeks later. Which was? Which was. <laughs> I mean, thank God I received a, a phone call that changed the course of my life from a doctor who was trying to recruit doctors to work in prisons. And never even occurred to me that doctors worked in prisons. So it was, it, it was stupidly and never even thought about it. But I thought, well, you know, why not? Let's give it a go. What else am I going to do? And so I started working in a young offenders prison that same year. And it was the beginning of the most wonderful 19 years of my life. And that's the story of your book, really, is that you had left general medicine after having after running a family family doing family medicine yes kind of in the in this in the countryside really yes <laughs> so going from that to going in, yes. into a prison and you told that so amazingly in the book but like what was that like going from kind of I guess I imagine cushy in lots of ways yeah. com- safe and comfortable yeah. job cushy friendly lovely you know we're all I just, uh, the patients that I've known for 20 odd years you know them when they're having their children you know them when their parents are dying you know them all the traumas families go through you're sort of part of their lives mm. which is a huge privilege so to go from that to a rather grim well very grim austere sort of building in the in the middle of uh, Buckingham Berkshire the Hunter King prison. Um, yeah, it was, it was a, of course, a huge change, but it was actually quite exciting. Mm. You know, I, I, would, I think I was coming up for 50 then, um, and I thought, I've got a few years left in me, may as well give it, give it a go. And I say it was the best thing I ever did. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? It's so interesting that you said about, you didn't think about doctors working in prisons. I've never thought about that no, either. No, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah, really, really strange. Mm. Is it a... Well, practical point of view I'm just thinking is it a normal like nine to five Monday to Friday no job no depends on the prison and what the requirements I mean when I worked with the teenage boys it was just a morning GP clinic there was no on call I wasn't uh, right you know very very different from when I then worked in Wormer Scrubs where I worked for seven years 
when I worked in Wilma Scrubs, the shift was 9 a.m. till 10 p.m. Wow. But it, it depended on what shift I signed up for. So okay. there were other doctors working there. Some might do a GP clinic. Some might be duty doctors. Some might just do an evening reception shift. So they're all different shifts that we could yeah. you know, choose to do or, or whatever. Um, but I generally in the, in the scrubs, I used to do the 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. shift because it was quite a long journey. And I thought, well, while I'm there, I always clock up the hours rather than driving in and out of yeah. London for a three-hour shift. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was very variable. And as a, as a GP, um, you, and you started in the first prison, you were, a, um, G, you were running like a GP clinic, so yeah. presumably people can come as they would not in prison sure. with, with various ailments. Sure. But when you went to the scrubs, the things kind of, the, the, the things that you're treating weren't just GP <laughs> level anymore, no. really. Can you tell us about like that kind of shift? Because that kind of feels more like trauma, A&E. Mm. Mm. It was. Drama, like. Yeah. For sure. So, if I, I say if I was doing a GP clinic, that would be just general practice in the, on the on a wing in Worm and Scrubs. But because I chose duty doctor shift, I was on call for the whole prison for any emergency, whether it was a medical emergency or violence or self harm. I used to go around the segregation unit, see the men in the seg every day, and see the new prisons arriving. So it was it was very very variable and at times extremely dramatic and exciting. And sometimes I. would I'd stand watching things going on when, when perhaps prison officers went in in riot gear to, to calm down a prisoner who'd gone completely wild. And I'm sort of standing outside thinking, I can't believe I'm here. Mm. It was just bizarre. It was sort of almost like a fly on my own wall. So, yeah. um, but it, yes, it was very, very variable. But, but, but lovely for that, you know, it was so exciting. Yeah. But, but sometimes when they call a code blue in prison, that's if somebody's, you know, potentially died you know mm. so it was pretty urgent so any any member of staff would rush to this code blue with this sickening dread of what we might find when we got got there mm. um yeah so it was uh one code blue i got to and a, a, a young man had slit his throat uh, which perhaps you read about in I the did, book yeah. you remember that one i've never ever seen so much blood i mean he oh. he and he, ju- he just about clung on to life and survived, thank God. But it was, you know, stuff I'd never ever seen before. That was quite early, wasn't it? In your... It was very early on. Yeah. Mm. And how did you did you think you'd make? Did you not think like, oh my God, what am I doing here? <laughs> no, I just thought I, I'm not saying pleased to be part of it, but it was it was good to be part of something like that, and even better that this beautiful young man survived. Yeah. And, and then remembered me and thanked me so that was wonderful I mean some many many weeks later when he was back in the scrubs so that was that was really lovely and he would have been young right because he was young he was early 30s he spoke no English first time in prison no idea I mean I knew nothing nothing about him and if his cellmate hadn't pressed the alarm bell he definitely wouldn't have survived if he'd been on his own in that cell such a huge um, gear change for you huge right huge yeah. and especially because the first prison you went in was the young offenders one yes. right mm. how old are they is that 15, um, 15 to 18 to year 18. old boys okay. then they move on to 18 to 21 year old and onwards from there okay um, and I, I think I think they say 18 to 21 year olds probably the most difficult to deal with because of the testosterone and the state of you know the stage of life they're at but the the, yeah. the boys that I dealt with I you know, they were fine I mean sometimes they tried to wind me up um, <laughs> how did you take that <laughs> um it's part of life, isn't it? You yeah. know, boys are going to try and wind some old woman up. Um, but if they had any genitourinary problems, they were meant to go to that clinic and they referred to that, the dick doctor clinic. But they still <laughs> tried to come along and <laughs> bring their complaints to me as well. But no, they were fine. Yeah. That must have been hard though, because I, I think you said that at that time you had a son. Yeah. At that Two. two two boys, well, my boys, I think, were age 15 and 18 at the time, right. sort of that sort of age. So, But I thought at least I might be able to understand boys a bit, yeah. if, ever, if anyone can. Yeah. Well, did you have any preconceptions going into prison? Because you just described there the, the, the guy that had cut his, his own throat and said he's a lovely young, he's a lovely young man. Mm. And like, that's something we really don't, that's not part of the conversation when we think about criminals and people in prison. And like, did you have preconceptions? And if so, how were they 
altered? Did you change your mind about anything when you started working in the prisons? I mean, I, just, I think I'm just a bit stupid. I didn't really have any particular <laughs> preconceptions. I just thought this was going to be an exciting place to work. And yeah. and something about Wormwood Scrubs particularly, being such an old prison with so much history there, mm. it was, it was yeah, and it was a lovely camaraderie as well with the prison officers and the other members of staff. And, and no, I didn't, I didn't have any particular ideas of what it might be like. Mm. I just took it for what it was. And, and, and thank goodness the prisons were on the, by very much on the whole, were really, really nice to me. Wow. Yeah. And how did you feel, sorry, what's so many questions? How did you <laughs> feel treating them? Did, if you ever had known what they'd done, did mm-hmm. that ever um, weigh, weigh on you all? Certainly running to an emergency in the scrubs, I wouldn't know what they'd done. And and, I, and because it was such a big prison and I was duty doctor, I, I didn't necessarily know many of them that well. Mm. I got to know them maybe over the years, seeing them walking around and all that sort of thing. But, um, but I mean, I did go and see an old man who'd been, I mean, they'd... I want to say beating the shit out of him, but I can't do that on podcast probably. Well, you can. Can you I can. thank you? Yeah. Well, this poor old soul was in his 70s and a gang of men had rounded up on him and, and absolutely... I mean, he was barely alive when I got to him and they'd fractured his femur and he was he was in such a mess. But I knew that he'd committed some sort of sexual crime because that's usually the reason why mm. um, men would gang up on an old man like that. Right. And he had. But, you know, all I saw was this poor old man you know, on death's door almost. So you have to just so, deal with yeah, what you find yeah, yeah, rather yeah. than... Uh, and, and I, fortunately, I've always, always managed to do that. Mm. I never think, oh, my God, what have you done? I'm not going to talk to you ever, mm, ever yeah. thought that because if I had, I couldn't have worked there. No. Are you privy to... I mean, do you have access to that information, what they've done? Are you privy to that? Well, funnily enough, in Worm and Scrubs, no, because the prison, the, the computer system for the prisons was completely separate from the medical notes. So the officers couldn't right. access their medical notes and I couldn't access the prison notes. But sometimes there might be an entry or certainly when I saw them coming into prison, I might ask them what they've been charged, why they're in prison. Okay. If, if, when they're coming into prison, because if somebody had been charged with murder, they had to automatically be referred to the psych- uh, mental health team, for example. Right. But j- day to day, I might not know necessarily what they'd all done, yeah. which was fine. And if I did know, in fact, there was one, I, again, I, I keep having to say it, but I met this really, really lovely man who just murdered his father. And it, I, you know, and I, But him as a person just struck me as a lovely bloke who'd been demeaned all his life by his powerful bossy something dad and he's he finally lost it and that was it I don't think he planned it but my heart went out to this poor bloke who's suddenly in worm and scrub so it is bizarre I think I am a bit weird I don't think you are I think like as a doctor you have a duty of care and that's something that you that all all, everybody who works in medicine has to adhere to sure and you have to take what you get at face value. But also, I think it's really interesting because we all imagine that we would judge and we would mm-hmm. do all of these things, mm-hmm. but you still have to face the humanity every day. Yeah. 100%. And I honestly honestly think when you actually know somebody on a one-to-one basis, despite what they've done, and you hear their story, I, I luckily just didn't find myself judging them. Mm. Just almost just made a friend and... That was it. And I imagine that's a skill that you have to have being a prison doctor. Yeah, I think it'd be very miserable if you didn't. Right, yeah. But I, don't, constantly... I really don't think I'd have lasted 19 years in no. prison if I couldn't do that. Yeah. But also for the, I mean, perhaps going off track a bit here, but for, for the first 11 years of working in prisons, I was told, particularly by officers, don't work with women. They'll be really difficult, manipulative and emotional and self-harming and you'll hate it. So for 11 years, I didn't, I took, you know, I was off of shifts in Holloway, which was still open at the time. Um, and then in 2015, I was off to shift in HMP Bronzefield, which effectively took over from Holloway when it shut. Right. Largest female prison in Europe, even though it's very small compared with male prisons. But anyway, I thought, I can't, can it be that bad? So I did give it a go and and spent the next seven years of my working life with women and probably the most fulfilling years I've ever spent. Really? So, so my idea, so maybe I had a preconceived idea that women would be difficult, but actually totally the opposite. The most, honestly, the most rewarding time I think I've spent in 43 years. Can I just go back just really quickly to working just with with the with the men and the young boys? Because 
I can't imagine why that would have been easier, particularly like you're, you are a very like softly spoken person and you're quite like slight in, in um, <laughs> presence. Like you're, you know, you're, you're, not, you're not like, I don't know, <laughs> but how does, how did you, did, did it ever feel threatening being, <laughs> being like you in a prison full of men? No, not, not at all is the, the quick answer. Wow. I, if anything, I felt slightly protected by them because they they were just very, very... I was like their friend. So if really? I was walking around the prison and they were on what they call um, association time or free flow when the prisons go from cells to canteen to educate, whatever, mm. and I might be seeing them around walking on the wings, they were just great, you know, hi, dog, how are you? Sometimes shake my hand, and it was, you know, it was, it was. So I didn't feel scared, thank God. I didn't mm. feel threatened, yeah. and and I'm quite proud to say that in 19 years of prison, I only once had to press the panic button because a guy I was seeing who just arrived in prison quite late at night in the scrubs, uh, he he seemed absolutely fine, chatting quite normally, and then suddenly he leapt up. He was suffering from schizophrenia. He told me, leapt out of his chair and started cracking his head back on this concrete wall repeatedly. And I honestly thought he was going to crack his head open. I, I thought he's either going to, or he's going to turn on me. So that was only the one time I pressed the panic button. And within seconds, there must have been about 10 officers arrived. Really? Which was hugely impressive. And I, I felt slightly embarrassed that I pressed the button almost, you know, for making a fuss. But I, I seriously thought the guy was going to crack his yeah. skull open. But so that was the only time. Once in 19 years. Yeah. That's I, I am quite proud of that. Yeah, yeah. that is amazing. <laughs> Shame it was once, but there you go. No, I think you, that's that's why they give it to you, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I've been pressing it all the time. I'd be such a coward. <laughs> <laughs> did you get close to any, did you make friends with oh, any yes. prisoners and like form Ooh. bonds with them? Yes. Yeah. Very hard not to. And I was told when I worked in the scrubs that I wasn't allowed to ever stay in touch with any prisoner after they left prison and this sort of thing, which right. was probably one of the hardest things about working in prison because yeah. if you care about somebody, you want to know how they get on afterwards maybe. Yeah. But that that it wasn't possible. But I now that I've retired, I have actually stayed in touch with um, a few of the female prisoners that have left prison, and that's nice. such a joy. Such a joy. I'm having lunch with them in a couple of weeks' time. Oh, that's, oh, that's so lovely. lovely. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. Wow. And, and, but, but fascinating people. And the stories that I heard, well, <laughs> I suppose that's why I wrote a book, but, yeah. but you know, so, yeah, it's great. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So to go to the women's prisons then. So you'd been told... It's so really interesting. Why do you think it was that you'd been told that women were more difficult and yeah. that you'd hate it so much? I don't know, but I heard it so many times. And I was so happy working in the scrubs. I had no particular need to go and work. And also, I mean, apart from anything, Holloway was a much more difficult journey. You know, I'd had no need to do it. Plus, I was told, oh, you know, you, they'll they'll eat you alive and make life hell for you and this, that and the other. And I thought, so it's not a great Im invitation, no. is it, to go and... But, um, but so when I say when I was off of the shift, I'm sure, I do believe in fate a bit. I do think life steers you along the way you're meant to go and you just sometimes have to follow it. And mm. in I went. And from literally day one, it was wonderful. And, uh, and, I, and, li and I did manage, again, I was quite proud of that record. I wanted to beat the Scrubs record of seven years. So I, w I was there for seven years and four months until I retired in April. And, I'd, you know, I, I absolutely loved it. Yeah. But the stories that I heard from these women never, ever, ever stopped shocking me. I mm. mean, you, you, I, I thought I'd get immune to it, but they never, they never, it, I never stopped being shocked at the stories I heard. The stories of why they were there. Yeah, yeah. And again, I think it's something like I think this 
statistic is 86% of women in prison have, have, are victims themselves of some sort of abuse, domestic violence, controlling relationships, whatever, and they are victims. And, mm -hmm. and the stories I heard behind their stories of addiction and why they're in prison were so powerful and so heartbreaking. You know, girls being injected by heroin with heroin at the age of sort of 12, 13, so that they become prostitutes for their... And on it goes. I mean, yeah. So so these poor women end up usually on drugs to obliterate the memories. Then they become homeless and they get in prison. And I knew so many women tried to get arrested so that they didn't have to sleep on the streets. Horrific. And six, sorry, here comes the old stats. 65% apparently, when I was there anyway, were released to homelessness. And they have no, how, how do you have a chance when you're released to homelessness? Most of them would say they then go to a crack house to, to get, get shelter and they're back on their drugs. Yeah. Or they try and get arrested to get back into prison. So one one campaign must be to try and there must be a better place for women than prison. Yeah. So eighty six percent of which is just like the most staggering statistic, and Isn't yet it? somehow I get it's not surprising. Yeah, you know, because mm -hmm. everything you read about, and mm. I'm I am interested as all of us are in a really perverse way in the sort of true crime and you know there's a real like conversation and market around this at the moment you know so many documentaries and whatever mm -hmm. and time and time again you see that women don't really fit the bill for like this sort of big criminal oh, stuff God, no. majority definitely are in for non-violent crimes way and above so you know and often for th three week sentence or less and really? I, I mean there's really? a drama on at the moment which is which is wonderful about women in prison and again it shows the stories that you, you know going to prison you lose your kids you lose your home you go out and you have to almost commit a crime to survive and then you're back in prison again yeah and it's it's out there and it's what so sort of sad what crimes are are the, the justice system putting women in prison for well, the, I should think the majority of women I saw were shoplifting, petty theft, burglary. And that's enough to go to prison the, the, for. Yeah, this is to get money to get the drugs usually. If, mm. Well, I say that because mainly I was working with the, the drug users in that prison. Mm -hmm. So, the, you know, the most of the women I knew were from those backgrounds. Um, but yes, of course, there were serial, there were serial killer, yeah. Lucy Letby, and murderers and manslaughter charges. And Lucy Letby was in the prison when you were there? She was on remand before going up, I think, well, I, d I don't know what prison she went to. But, um, yeah, so so yes, there were certainly real crime as well, but yeah. but the majority, I would say, were sort of, I say, bur burglaries, shoplifting, theft, that sort of thing. Yeah, and so many of these women have been victims uh -huh. themselves. Well, I mean, I was told that when I started at that prison by the, the, the man in charge of the prison, um, and he he just gave me that statistic. So if anyone should know, it must yeah. have been the ban running the prison. Yeah. And it was to sort of, I think, warn me that we, we should be aware that these women have been traumatised and damaged. Were, were there, was there any kind of mental health help <laughs> available for them? Oh, oh there, there was, but there was a huge... I mean, the mental health illness in, in prison was massive. So, yeah. yes, there's psychiatrists there, there's psychologists, mental health teams, mental health... So there's a lot... Of support on offer but mm. almost not enough and if some right. poor soul was desperately mentally unwell not safe to be anywhere you know but uh, maybe a mental health bed wasn't available in a psychiatric hospital that person might end up in prison for their safety and for the public safety but actually yeah. it was just a very severe mental illness that had caused the problem so not necessarily the right place for them no way no. and it could take ages to then get a psychiatric bed for them so yeah, that that was a very difficult side of working there. I think the mental yeah. health side. Were the women who were addicted to heroin were they were they given help to detox? Yeah, oh gosh, yes. When they arrive in yeah, prison, yeah, yeah. Oh my and were God. you was that part your... of that? Oh, very much so. I mean, yeah. the last well, how many years? Five years, I suppose. That's what I was mainly doing. Um, but so when they arrive in prison in reception, they're seen by the nurse and then whatever doctor's working that shift. Right. And if they're detoxing from heroin, they definitely need help, really. By far, occasionally they might say, oh, I'm going to cold turkey, I can go. But I would say 95% needed methadone and right. medication okay. to help them. Um, but again, if they're not in for long enough, they 
they won't detox. No. They'll, they'll go back and use heroin often. So It's still a brutal process oh, to detox awful. even with methadone. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if they're very big users yeah. and they're only allowed to start off, because it can be very, very dangerous if you gave them too much methadone. So mm. they're only allowed 30 mils of methadone when they come in. Mm. But often, you know, they, they may... In a few, they might need 70 mils, but they can't, like, they have to build up to that because it's just very dangerous. Right. But yes, they can go through awful times. That must have been really hard to witness that. Oh, oh. And actually, when they came into prison, of course, they might not have had heroin for a day or two and were really, really having right. a bad time. Yeah. And that could make them quite aggressive and angry and irritable and impatient and, yeah. and, I, and so when I was asked to work with the drug users on the on the wing on a regular basis to help them once they'd settled into prison I thought oh, no thank you I'll be you know it's just yeah. people are going to be so nasty to deal with but th not at all once they'd settled no. down these were the women I got to know and love over seven yeah. odd years and miss them yeah. I miss you. <laughs> I was really struck in the book as well and you just said it there that once once these women were leaving prison, so many of them tried to be rearrested so oh, that yeah. they can come back. Definitely. I think you said in the book that they were that, that that they'd often sleep near near the near the prison after they'd been So yes, they would try and get arrested and a woman I met said it was the first time she felt safe in bed for seven years because she'd been living in such a violent relationship with this man. They'd I ha women would sleep, usually they tell me they'd sleep during the day so that they they could walk around at night and not get raped on the streets. So a woman said she slept in a, a public lavatory during the day so that she could she, she felt she wasn't going to get, ra I say, raped at night. One woman lived in a bin chute outside a one-stop shop so she could eat the food they were throwing out. Um, I mean, all over the place. But yes, they certainly, particularly when it's cold and mm. wet and whatever they tell me they try and get try and get back into prison and again at christmas time that would be a time yeah. they try and get arrested rather than be having a have a nice christmas dinner and yeah. makes sense much i mean and a, and much a, more desirable place to be well than yeah what's the alternative i think fear i would constantly I, it becomes almost home from home and, and that's shocking yeah. it's shocking it is, and it's interesting, as you said, I, I think the biggest shame that I feel as a Londoner is the homelessness yeah, here and yeah. that we can fail so many people so catastrophically. Like, it, it doesn't mm. even see, and at the time of recording, we've just had Suella Braveman describe it as a lifestyle choice and, like, <gasps> it's all so revolting and so horrific. And oh, I know. You, my yeah, God. Imagine that as a lifestyle choice. In fact, one, one of the best, <laughs> one of the things I... I appreciate more than ever, and I'm coming up for 69 years of age next week, is the fact that I've got a bed to sleep in and a roof over my head. Yeah. My God, I cannot imagine. I literally cannot imagine how I would cope. No. I think I would probably try and get into prison. Me too, definitely. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And you and you very, very, I'm always struck, and I, and I, I hate... And I actually hate how used to seeing men sleeping on the streets like we are mm. because it's always been. Mm -hmm. But when I see a woman mm. on the streets, mm -hmm. it's like, mm. like yeah. it takes when, my breath from Well, me. now when you see them asleep during the daytime, you'll know it's because they're too frightened to sleep at night. Which is just horrendous. horrendous. Because I don't come up to London very often at all now, but when yeah. I lasted, there was, you know, a woman tucked up in a sleeping bag in the daytime on the street. And, and I thought, well, you know, I know why she's sleeping at this time of day. Bless her. So, so, so awful, isn't it? Yeah. And is there not halfway houses or? Yeah. How does that work for women living? Well, one one wonderful woman I met. I did write a book about the women in prison, actually. Yeah, I'm really. And I'm she, she and I, I did stay in touch with her for a while afterwards. Actually, anyway, she finally got out of prison after years and years and years and was put in a hostel for two months, I think, in Battersea, I think it was, for two months. But after that, she was sort of more or less on her own. So I don't really know how it works to ever, ever mm. um, get housing for, for prisoners when they leave after a long time. Um, but there was a, a, a wonderful mm. place I visited near Birmingham, actually, and it's a charity-run place, but it's a refuge for women. And when they've come out of prison, but they only have about five or six beds, but they also have a day centre where the women could go and learn cooking skills mm. and m skills with their babies, that sort of thing. And that was a fantastic place. Can I? You just said about babies there. Can I ask, that must have been horrific, dealing with mothers who'd had to leave their babies. Well, 
to me, completely and utterly unimaginable. I don't think any mother could imagine how awful that would be. They had a mother and baby, have a mother and baby unit in Bronzefield for 12 mothers. And I think there's a twin room as well. So 13, potentially 13 babies. But not everyone is allowed to keep their baby in prison. How does it work? Yeah. When well, I think they have to go through a panel and be, decide whether they're going to be worthy of a place in the mother and baby unit. Um, and they can keep their children there until they're 18 months of age. Um, sometimes they're allowed a little bit longer. I did meet a woman who was you know, going to be released in a month or two after and she she had been allowed to keep her little one with her. I mean, it would utterly destroy me if I had to. Oh, I can't. It doesn't bear thinking about, does it? No, I've got a baby. I've got a nine month old baby, oh. and the thought of having to. Oh. And there's nothing. It, it's I don't know. It seems so. There's nothing that feels less natural than ripping a mother and baby mm. apart. Mm. Did you have pregnant women? In the, whole, in, the, in, the, oh, in the prison? Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And ch childbirth? Well, so pregnant women in prison are looked after by a separate medical team. So a midwife right. from the local hospital comes in. They keep their antenatal notes separately. They have a perinatal psychiatrist there. So so the, the pregnancy side of looking after women in prison is very much looked after separately from, if you like, the GPs. Um, but they would have their babies in hospital, um, unless, of course, somebody goes into premature labour, which nobody's expecting, so which can happen. Mm. But but they would go normally go to hospital to have their babies, yeah. And then they can bring the babies back. Yes, again. if they're if they if depending on what uh, what's been decided for that little one. And there could be there were cases that they wouldn't be allowed to. Mm. So they might be taken into care with a family member, or, or I, it's, I, I didn't have I didn't have to get too involved with that side of it, and I'm very glad I didn't because I I'd find it too sad. Yeah, that's unimaginable. Traumatic. Oh, oh. Yeah. and occasionally, if I saw a woman on a say a Sunday morning clinic, and she'd come over from the mother and baby unit with her little baby in a pram, <laughs> so sweet. Oh, that's nice that you got. To I did see get babies. a bit gooey about it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. Oh my god, that's just like I know. unimaginable, yeah. isn't it? It feels so like the prison's no place for a baby. One woman I remember coming into prison, and she was, I think, thirty-seven weeks pregnant with twins, complicated pregnancy. Oh my gosh. We didn't have her proper notes, you know, when she arrived. It was weekend, and I, I, I just thought this is madness. The poor woman was terrified because the pregnancy had been so difficult anyway. Yeah. I can't remember. I wouldn't say the details of it all, but it was just, I just think, I remember thinking this is just madness. Yeah. To me. Yeah. Yeah. But. Surely there was somewhere for her that oh, wasn't prison. You would think, wouldn't you? Yeah. Do you feel like we're failing women in that regard? Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, I certainly do. I certainly think that, you know, as as we've been saying, the fact that most of these women are damaged and being abused and commit crime because of the the way their lives led, and to to then be homeless, I mean, it's just awful. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I can't be. I can't say we're not failing them. Is there any help with getting jobs after they've left prison? Um, there are. Okay. I think there's quite a lot of, again, I don't know enough about it, but quite a few charities out there mm -hmm. that help pe women try and get jobs. And, um, and and if they're in prison for long enough, they can learn skills, you know, hairdressing yeah. and painting yeah. nails and, and catering, etc. Mm -hmm. I think they can do NVQs in catering and hairdressing okay. and stuff. So actually, yeah. if they're determined to do it and they're in for long enough, they mm. can they can get skills and get jobs afterwards. The yeah. other one that's a very popular job in prison is the call centre, and that's, I think, right. probably not that they get paid very much at all, but I think it's higher paid than some of the other jobs in prison. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so I mustn't be all doom and gloom. I've just seen such a sad side of it that that's coloured my judgment a bit, but there are some very positive outcomes as well from women in prison. Thank God. Thank God, yeah. Mm. Is there one prison in particular that's really like left a mark on you and really stayed with you? <laughs> I think in their way they all have, oh, yeah. funnily enough. It's hard to say it's hard to say where I enjoyed it most. I, I suppose I became very, very fond of the women, but I also found Wormwood's Scrubs an incredibly exciting, challenging time. Really, really exciting. Yeah. 
Um, and again, the boys were fun in their way. And then I did do a while back at Huntercombe, actually, um, when it became a foreign national prison. And so I worked with foreign national prisoners for some time. And that was um, that in its way was beautiful, too. What's a foreign national prison? It's for um, anybody that's committed a crime that hasn't actually got a legal right to be in the country. And I struggle with this a little bit because I'm not sure I fully understand it. But mm. I think if a family had come over, say, from Jamaica 30 years ago and the, the baby was never given a British passport and then grew up in this country and whatever, whatever, if that person then commits a crime, they might find out that actually they, they have no legal right to be in the UK. They have to be deported back to the country. No, they don't. Well, <laughs> yeah. So that's why that was very, very stressful working there because oh, I couldn't... Uh, awful. I mean, some people were being sent back to countries they had no idea about. Maybe a French-speaking African country and they couldn't speak French or... Oh, my um, God. As a criminal as yeah, well. Yeah, well... They serve their time as a criminal in the UK prison and then get deported when right. they leave prison back to their country. Oh and there was a guy that I knew, I think he was from Jamaica, I forget which country, but anyway, he was gay and he said he's, he was absolutely terrified because for whatever country it was that he would be almost tortured for being gay if people found out, you know, so people can't be who they are no. sometimes in the country they might be sent back to, wow. if that makes sense. That must have been a heartbreaking oh. Oh. place to work. It was really, really hard work. Yeah. Not hard yeah. work, but it was I know what you mean. stressful because I couldn't change the situation they were in. And another man, uh, he was in his 60s, he, he was on treatment for renal failure. Yeah. He was going to be deported back to an African country, and I can't remember which one. And without the medication, he wouldn't survive very long at all. But he knew that he couldn't afford the medication in the country he was going back to. So mm -hmm. sort of like a death sentence if he actually... And he got grandchildren in this country. So imagine Gosh. trying to help a poor man with that, facing that sort of future. I, I it just, I couldn't, I couldn't change things for them. Did he end up going back? Mm. He did. Mm. Gosh, uh, so you, you know, the, 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 it, I did. Um, I, I did find it very, uh, very, very hard to. I couldn't help them if you know what I mean. That's so frustrating. Mm. There's just mm. nothing you can do, mm. but you can mm. see the injustice mm. and mm. the pain of mm. not only these prisoners but their families mm. as mm -hmm. well. Yeah, I mean, again, some of them were okay going back; they were fine yeah. with it. But the ones that weren't are the ones that you know left a mark on me. And I imagine, I think it's really interesting, going back to what we were kind of saying earlier, like it feels you kind of want to be really black and white about this and be like, well, they did a bad thing. And mm -hmm. kind of prison feels like the final chapter in a lot of like our psyches when you think about, mm. you know, you do a bad thing and then you go to prison and that's mm. that. And it doesn't really occur to you that mm. there's life for them after prison or that they might actually get poorly in prison. You know, yeah. they might, that doesn't, mm. you know, that someone might be having renal failure in, mm -hmm. in prison. It, that... We don't, I feel like societally, maybe maybe it's a societal issue that we just don't have any humanity or any thought or any, it's like you do one bad thing and sometimes people do really bad things, but you do the bad thing and that's it then. That's just the end of you as far as this, the world, the country is concerned. Mm -hmm. And then there's no hope really. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think um, it, if, if we could just understand more about the actual individual rather than just, yes, they're in prison and mm. that's it. Um, but I, I again, I can't imagine if I'd been in prison for 10 years, how do you then start out in life and find a place to live? I don't, I have no idea. Thank God, I don't, I hope I don't have to. Um, I'm sure you won't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you never know yeah. after this. <laughs> yeah, absolute minefield. Mm. Sorry, this is really morbid, but... Obviously, people will get cancer in prison as mm -hmm. well. Did you? I guess does it does it work like a normal GP? As in, they come to you with something yeah. that you think, oh, that looks yeah, yeah. Um, cancerous, yes. and then are they sent to a hospital? Yes. And yes, yes, it works all like like yeah. it does outside of prison. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so again, I saw it. A young man, he was only in his early 30s, and he came to me with a what he thought he'd torn a muscle. He was sort of body lifting in the gym and that sort of thing. Yeah. Anyway, cut a long story short, it felt a little bit 
sinister. He had a scan. It turned out to be a sarcoma type of cancer. He got treated. He recovered. He was fine. So that was a real, you know, plus plus time thinking, you know, right. diagnosed it, got him out to hospital, got treated. And he wrote to me when he left prison and thanked me. And that was beautiful. Um, another very, very, very sweet man. He 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 was in Wormer's Scrubs for some time. He was from, a, um, I think, from Ghana. But anyway, he, he knew he'd got cancer when he came to this country. He, came, he was arrested for smuggling drugs, for which I presume he got quite a lot of money. And he did it knowing he was dying so that his family would be supported in Africa, that the money he was going to get from whatever he did right. would would make his family safe and secure right. for their lives, knowing he'd probably get arrested and knowing he might die away from them. And I find, I honestly, that man was just incredible. He was then transferred from Wormer's Grubs to Huntercombe, where I saw him and met him. And he and I just became good, good mates and... I referred him out to the local hospital. I mean, he was beyond treatment, really? but he mani managed, thank God, to survive long enough to get back to his family. Did he? Yes, wow. and that was that wow. was that was uh, fantastic. Oh my God! It's so lovely to hear. <laughs> like he did a bad thing. Like he smuggled drugs, but well, it's kind of lovely. I probably do that too. I yeah. honestly, I'm sorry. I'll, I would. Given that choice, if yeah, you thought your family yeah. would be destitute, starving, yeah. whatever, or yeah. you get a bundle of money, you might die, get arrested, I would probably do it too. Yeah. 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 Knowing that he, yeah. Honestly, given that Gosh. choice, if it was your, I mean, yeah. I, you know, I think, again, most parents, I mean, I used to sort of say, I literally, I think I'd die for my yeah. boys if I had to, you know. Yeah, so, I'd die for my boys. It's hard to judge yeah. someone for a choice like that, right? Mm -hmm. It's that's, that's hard. Yeah, and I think you realise as well, and listening to you speak, and I really felt this when I read your book as well, it's like, if you put yourself in someone else's shoes, you'd probably make the same decisions they did. Of course. Particularly for the women. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. definitely, yeah. definitely. And that's why, certainly, I've definitely, definitely learned not to judge people. Um, and realise that so many people, you, even if they might look a bit scary sometimes, you know, quite intimidating, but actually underneath all that, they're just very nice people. Yeah. And and you were privy to, to the context behind yes. what they'd done yes. and why yes. they were there, sure. which is extremely important mm. and often what is missing around mm. the conversation around, around criminals, right? Mm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. When you've got somebody like Lucy Letby, for example, a really high profile case. Are you able to, to just put it all away and be like, I'm Something going to help like you? Like that must be hard. A case if like it, that. If it's must high be. profile and you know you know, I know you said you're not it, it is it is but. hard. It is hard. But as I said before, if if you don't put it to one side, uh, I shouldn't be working there. No. God you're <laughs> I don't think so. I guess with cases like that, you just have to put your medical hat on. Yes. I'm imagining. Yes. And treat, Yes, you know, be very matter of fact about it and treat the medical problem and then walk yep. away. Yes, yes. But Definitely. Would I, I mean, I'm glad I don't sit on a jury because... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nobody be sent to prison, I don't think. Yeah, but. I don't think you could be a juror now. <laughs> no, please. You've seen too much. <laughs> I guess a nice place to end would be if you have any stories of like hope and happy endings of anyone that you've worked with or that you got to meet or that you that you've heard from subsequently well um one very lovely story to me if you've got time I don't yeah. know if you have yeah um young man I met quite late night Wormwood Scrubs first night centre back in prison surly angry quite intimidating in his appearance did not want to talk to me stared at his feet hardly answered a question but I managed to sort of get him chatting and it turned out that he grew up in care, he'd had a terrible childhood, but that his mother was trying to get back in touch with him. And I said, oh, that's wonderful. And he said, no, no, he said, I'm not, I won't, I'm not going to get in touch again. I, I don't want to be rejected. I can't face being rejected again. And at one point, I am quite easily, I do cry quite easily. And I, I found it just broke my heart to think of a mother out there trying to find her son again. You know, because I was sort of almost thinking, how would, how would I feel if that were me? And I got a little bit teary-eyed, and he realised that I was quite upset. And he then got out of his chair, and I know I'm not, not meant to hug anybody, but he hugged me, and 
he was completely different. And weeks later, I saw him when I was walking through his wing in the scrubs. He shot down the stairs, beaming smile, completely different sort of demeanour, and said, I've met up with my mum and we're a family again. Oh, and of, of, of all the things that if I could end my life, well, I mean, my life is coming to an end, I suppose, at this age, but, you know, I'll never forget that. And I hope to God out there somewhere he's still with That's so lovely. Yeah. Isn't it lovely? Yeah. And, and just that, just that being human thing, you know, the fact that I couldn't, I, I, I literally would destroy me if I, if, if anything happened to my so everybody's done that. <laughs> so, I think you've done such an amazing thing with your career. So lovely. Yeah. And with the books that you've written and with talking like this, I think it's so important for people to put their misconceptions aside and have more mm. humanity for mm. for everybody. Yeah. Well, I um I didn't particularly I I I didn't enjoy if you like writing books or or having because I'm actually very shy. So anything to do with uh, talking about them I do find quite difficult but but the publisher wanted a second book which is about the women in prison and then they wanted a third book <laughs> and and I thought oh. anyway and I thought this has got to stop and my dear old husband who died a couple of years ago but he came up with the title of the final sentence for the last book which was about the, the foreign national prison but and I know this sounds a bit weird but the, the book was meant to be published as my husband was dying and um so I, at least I could dedicate the third book to him, and that was That's that was so lovely. lovely. <laughs> yeah, so sorry, lost your husband. Well, yeah. you know, but it was he. I, I, it was just quite nice, and in the acknowledgments, I could actually thank the people that looked after him. So that was all nice. So there was a, a positive bit to writing the books. You've got two more books out. Yeah, I'm so excited. Aww. I can go and read Me them. Me too. Now. I know. <laughs> And everyone else should go read them too. We're going to put the links to all of them in the show, <laughs> in the show notes. Oh dear, I'll have to. Yeah. I've never listened to a podcast in my life. I'm so old, so I'll have to, I'll have to find <laughs> oh, it. Don't start with this one. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna delete Better it. Better podcasts are available. <laughs> oh dear. Thank you so much oh, for coming. I have loved this so much. It's been amazing. Well, thank you, you for listening you. to an old crow. Not at all. <laughs> no, thank you're you wonderful. so much. Should I delete that? It's part of the ACAS Creator Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.